If you would remain standing, I want to read Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a reading of God's word. You may have a seat. Now, all the Celebrate Kids, before you run off, if you're going to Celebrate Kids, would you just stand up right where you're at? You're too short. I can't see you. Okay. We spent a, a lot of time praying for our youth this morning before the service. So I just want to recognize these kids as we pray. So if they're your kid, you can lay your hand on them. If they're not your kid, just extend a hand towards them. And let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. So Father God, we are so grateful for this morning. And Father, we thank you for each and every one of these little kids. And Father, we pray as they go to celebrate kids this morning, uh, would you just soften their hearts? Would you allow your word to fall in a fertile place? Father, we pray for the leaders that they would... Uh, lead these kids with love, with your blessing. And Father, for the rest of us, would you allow us to have a childlike innocence like these kids, that as we hear your word this morning, it would be as fresh and as exciting as the first time we hear it. So Father, would you bless each and every one of these kids as they go, and would you bless each of us as we hear Andrew's teaching. And we pray all this in the name of our living Savior, Jesus. Amen. All right, kids, now you can go. says I'm on. Oh, there we go. No, that's all right. All right. Well, we're on a, in a series called Practice Gathering based on the passage that Judd just read from Acts 42, or Acts 2, 42 through 47. And verse 46 of what he just read says that they met together every day in the temple courts, in a public space devoted to God, devoted to worshiping God and praying God and hearing the scripture every day there and in their homes. They met together every day. And we're just exploring how often do we meet together as followers of Jesus. There's a time when they met together every day and vibrant things were happening. And now, if you're going to be do statistics on church attendance or, or people who go to church regularly, the number they use is, they go to, is that a person would go to church at least once a month. Now, just comparing that, attending something where you listen and watch once a month compared to getting together every day. And not just getting together for the sake of getting together with other people, but with specific intentionality in mind. And that's what we're looking at because they devoted themselves, it says in verse 42, to four things, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they're intentional about what they're doing. In the first two weeks, we looked at the apostles' teaching. How, how is it that you could be devoted to the apostles' teaching as you practice gathering? And then last week, 
we looked at uh, to fellowship. And there's multiple Greek words that we translate into fellowship in English. And so the original language, the Greek word for this fellowship was koinonia. So it's based on a word koina, that's the root of the word, which is about common and communal. So a communal sense, we're in this together around something, a common cause, a common purpose. That's the essence of this word. And then koinonia is fellowship. And I explained after it confused me for a long time and a week um, that koinonia is used in the Bible both as a noun and as a verb. So they devoted themselves to the noun koinonia, the fellowship, a specific community of people, like an association, close relationships, living life together, but it was, it was a, they were committed to a particular group, a fellowship, the fellowship. And then there's also the verb. They committed themselves, devoted themselves to fellowshipping, to sharing in life, to uh, participating, to contributing, to being together. And the questions I raised last week are, are you committed to a fellowship or fellowships within a fellowship of people who are following Jesus? Are you devoted to that? Do you have that where you're participating, where you're contributing, where, you're, where it's a high priority for you? And within that fellowship or fellowships within a fellowship, the, multi, the, the communities that are intentional about following Jesus that you're part of, are you fellowshipping? Are you contributing? Are you participating? Are you, are you in it? And several people have just shared with me that this really resonates with them, that they have found that they have, there was a time when they were con committed, and they've just gradually not been committed to a fellowship. Um, I think, I don't know, so just so you know, every week I struggle with this, but there are bunny trails everywhere. I am trying to go somewhere today. And there is just, I mean, it's going to be tough. There's one intentional bunny trail I'm going to go on, but I'm, all right, I'm going to pull myself back for now so we can keep it, keep it moving. Um, so, one thing I said, okay, this is a bunny trail, but I can't help myself. It's a different bunny trail. At least I avoided the first one. You know, I can pat myself on the back. I'm, all right. So, one of the things I said, I don't know if it was last week or, or one of the first weeks of this series, was, you know, we, aren't, we don't want to be, when we're talking about getting together, we don't want to be part of a holy huddle. That's not the goal. Like, we're gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. But I've been rethinking that. I've been rethinking my, we're not, we're, we don't want to be part of a holy huddle. The, when I say that, what I mean is we don't want to be part of a group that's totally inward-focused and clicky and holier-than-thou in their attitude. But I, what I realized is, like, would it be so bad to be part of a holy huddle? Like a holy huddle automatically creates like a negative connotation, but the word holy, I think, creates a negative connotation. And the problem with that is that the Bible is constantly encouraging us to be holy. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are being called holy. Jesus says, be perfect as my heavenly father, or be holy as my heavenly father is holy. He calls us to holiness. Over and over again, the Bible says, you are a chosen people, a holy nation. You are chosen. That, you know, I'm thinking of 
it's saying that in First Peter. I'm thinking of it saying that in Colossians, that you are holy and dearly loved. Holy is used over and over. And it's not just that God's calling us holy, different, separate, special. It's not just that he calls us that, but that may be the most important. But it's also that he's calling us to live into it. So in Ephesians, among many times, just in Ephesians 4, that it is encouraging us to be holy. It talks about putting off the, new, the old self and putting on the new self with the attitude of our mind that we can be a new creation to be like God in true righteousness and holy. That's our calling. If we're saying yes to Jesus, then we're saying yes to joining with other people to be holy. Like, it might be a good thing. In Hebrews, it says, make every effort to be holy. Because without holiness, no one sees the Lord. And here I am as a pastor, like apologizing, like, I mean, we don't, we don't want to actually be holy. Let's be careful that we don't want to be holy. We don't want to be like so into this that we would get together to be holy. When the Bible's like, please, I chose you to be holy. Get together to be holy. And here's the, here's the thing why I'm shifting my mind is because when I'm in holy huddles, I mean, I like huddles. I played football. You, you get the play. Somebody usually makes a joke. I mean, it was at least, well, we weren't that great. So that's why. Was, yeah. Anyway, but when I'm around people, even just Sunday mornings, but also at other times, like who are trying to say, I want to be close to God. I want God in my life. I want to follow God. It gets contagious. When I get together with people, so twice this week, once for about 20 or 30 minutes, once for about an hour and a half of studying, I mean, we were together longer than that in both times, but of studying scripture together. There's a way in which that's a holy huddle. But both times, my temptation at the end of it wasn't like, now I'm... It was like, man, after studying scripture, I've got, but I want to go further. And I want other people to know this. Like, I'm being pushed out. But I'm being pushed out in holiness because I was intentional about getting together. That was a long bunny trail. I have got, got to get back. Let's talk about, let's talk about fellowship. But let's talk about how this word koinonia is often used in the Bible, how it's used in this little part right here, but how it's also often used in the Bible. So, in Acts 2.42, when it says, devoted the fellowship, by the way, in these little parts where it says each of these words, right before and right after, there's little echoes. There's a little echo or a little explanation, maybe you get a sense of this might be what the apostles' teaching is like. This might be what the breaking of bread is about. This might be what prayer looks like, not just one aspect of prayer. And it's no different in Acts 2.42. So it uses the word koinonia, and then two verses later, verse 44, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. That word common is koina. So it's an echo of fellowship. So what does it mean that they were devoted to fellowship? Well, right after that, it says this, it uses that same word, koina, or, you know, connected word, koina. So all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
part of koinonia, part of being devoted to the fellowship, was sharing resources, was contributing financially in the community. Now, this isn't just like, oh, this is a unique angle or a little sidebar on it. The word koina, koinonia, some version of that, I think about 30 times, and I looked them all up in the New Testament, at least 10 has to do with money. At least 10 has to do with contributing money, financially, resources. So, let's look at a few of them, just so you can see what the context is. Romans chapter 13, verse 13. I read all, or 12, verse 13. I read all 13 verses last week because there's so much of pictures of koinonia in there, of fellowship. But verse 13 says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That word share is koinonautis. So there's these forms of koinonia. So, for instance, what what we're going to see a lot is share. In the NIV, English translation is share. Is it share? Is it shared? Is it sharing? Is it will share or should share? There's usually one word in the Greek that's this version of it. So anyway, koinonautis, so the word koinonia, is to share with other people. Share with people who are in need. Romans 15, verses 26 through 27 Paul says of chapter 15, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution, that's a koinonian, make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared, have ekonoisian in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with their material blessings. If you've received spiritually, you should contribute materially. Again, getting at what is koinonia, what is fellowship. And here, it's very clear, it's about financial resources. It's about giving to a community of people that's uh, based on the gospel. The common cause is the gospel. Okay, a couple more. I'm not going to do them all, but I'm going to do a few. Because I want everyone to be able to see, this this is like... The use of the word. When we talk about being devoted to fellowship, we can't just set money aside. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share, koinonieto, all good things with their their instructor. Philippians 4, verses 14 through 16 Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. I'm not going to try to pronounce this one, but this is another version of koinonia, to share. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared, ekoinisean, with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Very clear. It has to do with material resources. It has to do with with the spreading of the gospel. Um, And so that's the word koinonia. Now, I'm going to look at two. Well, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's about 40 verses, just under 40 verses, 
teaching on giving and generosity, material giving, money, money. And I, we're going to look at about 16, 17 of these verses in two sections. So first, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. The privilege of sharing, that's koinonian, in this service to the Lord's people. So again, clearly has to do with giving of resources. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. The Corinthians had originally said, we're going to give to you. They weren't even asked. They just said, we want to give to you. But then they stopped giving. So that's where this is coming from. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So what I'd like to do here, before I go to the second part, the last uh, part of Scripture we're going to look at in, from 2 Corinthians, um, is I'd like to talk a little bit about giving to this fellowship. Celebrate. Or any fellowship, but just, you know, why, why would you give? Do, do you give? Would you consider giving? That kind of thing. Here's, here's what I'd like to point out first. Is that there are uh, a few church streams, I would call them. It's like not just a particular church, it's a collection of churches. That part of their liturgy, they are not like most of these, none of these are like, we're going to do the liturgy like I did growing up in Lutheran. The Lord be with you and also with you. You know, where we lift up our hands, we lift them up to the Lord. I mean, there's this, this like, you, the people know what they say, you know, that's kind of liturgy. And that's what we think of as liturgy, but all churches have liturgies. They all have like, this is their pattern. Um, and some are just less formal or scripted than others. So in these churches, which I have benefited from a ton, which God is moving in, which people are coming to faith in Jesus, which um, the poor is being, being served, I mean, all kinds of outstanding things. In their liturgies, what they have is that every week, every week before the sermon, there is a five to ten minute message before the offering, about the offering, about giving. Almost every week. I mean, I, I'm, honestly, I'm stunned. I have family members in one of these kind of churches, and then I bent, went to other churches in different states, and I'm like, oh, I thought I was in the same church. I mean, they do it the same way. It's, it's like young people in their 20s, 30s, and, but they're going to talk about tithing, giving 10%. 
I mean, every week, it's a sermon. So I mentioned this um, for a couple reasons. Like, we're a long ways away from that. We don't even have our boxes where we take our offering labeled, which we probably should. We mentioned barely any times last year that there is an offering to give. So we're not like highly pressurizing, okay? That's not our, it's not our thing. And partly that's because I don't want anyone to feel turned off to Jesus because they think the church is just about money. I don't want people to feel manipulated. I don't want to actually manipulate. You know, it's, I mean, there's a, there's a self-serving thing about giving. But here's the flip side. There's a reason that they can talk every week about money. And that is, the Bible talks a lot about money and our giving. Jesus talks more about money than just about anything. I mean, the kingdom of God, he talks about more. Hell, he talks about, is about the same much. But after that, I mean, the Bible talks more about giving and money than it does by, about prayer, by far. About prayer. There's, there's just no way to get around. So on one hand, I wouldn't want people to feel manipulated, pressured, you know, I wouldn't want to do that. And on the other hand, I wouldn't want to not say, here's what the Bible says about money and generosity and giving, because it is in here a lot. So my tactic has been tactic. There you go. So there's some sort of Freudian slip right there. Uh, My approach has been, when it comes up in the context, then we then we talk about it, like in the scripture that we're going we're gonna to talk about. But probably we talk about it less than the balance on whole in the scripture. So, but I think I'm, I'm getting a, I'm, I'm going down this bunny trail today because I think we can't fully understand the fellowship as it relates to money in Acts 2.42 without seeing the broader picture. So, and, and in terms of also knowing, well, what is the, how do we apply this? So let me just talk about the d- different types of giving from the Bible. Tithe or first fruits, offerings, gifts to the poor. So tithe would be 10%. Some people use the word um, tithe interchangeably with like the contri- contribution I make to a church. That's my tithe regardless of amount. But a tithe in the Bible is very clearly 10% of what you get as an increase. You get whatever you get, 10% of that, the increase, goes back to the Lord. This is in the, in the Old Testament. And related to that is the first fruits offering. So the first fruits offering just means that before you've taken in the full harvest, so you don't have that security of everything in the, back then in agricultural before you do that, you give your first and best right away to God. That for, that it's very often repeated about giving your firstborn of the animals, if we're talking agricultural society for money, or first of the crops that come in. So 
that's all, we, I don't live there. I don't raise, I got two dogs and that's been a stretch for me. So I don't got chickens yet. There's been some talk. Anyway, so I'm not, in, I mean, this is not relatable in that, in that sense, but, the, but this is the principle we're trying to bring over. So in the, in the Bible, it talks about tithes. Now, I have not brushed up on my Old Testament view of this because I was mostly focused on koinonia, but there were actually, I'm pretty sure, three tithes. So there was 10% that was going to, the, the, the money was going to the worship side of things. Like, this is how the priests and Levites had their living, and this is what we used for the sacrifices so that we could worship every day. And this is, so that was one. And then there was another one that I'm fuzzy on. I think it had to do with widows and orphans. And, and then there was a third one that was 10%, but it was like 10% over three years. So it was really 3%, and it was used for a party. I got to study more on that one. I want to give a sermon on that one sometime and then actually do it. They have a big party. I'm not even making this up. It's in Deuteronomy. Anyway, but there's, so there's tithes, there's 10%, but then there's offerings on top of that. And the offering might have to do because of like what you did that you feel bad about. So here's the offering or the offering might be like you got even more. And so out of, it's called a thank offering. I'm going to give even more than what's required of me. So there's tithes and offerings. And then there were gifts to the poor. When, when Jesus is talking in, cause he's still following Torah, the when he's talking about when you give your gifts to the poor, that is on top of the tithes and that is on top of the offerings. Just see, I mean, this is like what they got going on. And I say that because when we talk about this Acts 2.42 koinonia, it's not like, oh, so they gave their money to the church. They did not stop. They were still tithing. These were still Jewish people. They were still tithing and giving offerings and this was this giving to make sure everyone was neat was on top of that. It is just an incredible generosity. So, what does this mean for us, U.S. Americans, 21st century? Protest- I so geek out on this kind of stuff because now we're getting into history because basically I would say Protestants because the Catholic Church and Protestant churches in Europe back, it was like church and state weren't divided. Like some of your taxes went to the church. And that was actually still true when our our country was founded, but only at a state level because the federal government didn't. Anyway, I could really keep going on this one, but that's a bunny trail I'm going to throw away. So there is a way in which to, to it. It is a principle that we're trying to pull over. And the way that um, many of us have for the last centuries, couple centuries, is to say, give 10% to the church and then give offerings on top of that to other things like, you know, the missions or people in need. So that would be the tithe and the offerings, okay? I subscribe to that, have always done that, believe in that. But I'm less um, like that's how it has to be than I used to be. I, but what I am, what I do feel pretty strongly about is this idea of tithing, of giving 10% is a practice from God that's encouraged. That I don't, there is nobody that I wouldn't say, you should try it. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're rich and I don't care if you're poor. 10%. Give it to the kingdom of God. Absolutely. I think it'll be good for you. 
I could say that without apology. And I could say that saying, I don't care where you give it. I mean, I'm not trying to do a fundraiser here. I, I think it is a practice. Now, people say, well, but this is the law. This is Old Testament. I mean, we don't, we don't eat the, you know, we don't have the Jewish food customs anymore. We don't uh, do the certain Sabbath days and festivals anymore. is isn't just one of those. Well, and actually, the first tithe was before the law was ever given with Abraham and Melchizedek in, in uh, Genesis. And then when Jesus was asked about it, he said, um, you should, they, what people would do back then is they would say, instead of helping my family members, my older family members and taking care of them, uh, if it's part of my tithe money, it was like a tax loophole or something. And Jesus says, you should take care of your family, but you should also still tithe. That's basically the, what he says. So Jesus says to do it. And then the lastly is that in the, the New Testament, the standard isn't, isn't lowered. It isn't like, hey, in the Old Testament, the law said don't murder, but that's the law. That's like Old Testament. So, it, no, Jesus says, no, don't be angry. The Old Testament, don't commit adultery. The New Testament, Jesus says, don't lust. The Old Testament says, give 10%. The New Testament says, no, you don't have to anymore. You can keep it all for yourself. I just don't think so. Anyway, here's what I would say. I would say, well, let me give you two more things. The next, yes, yes, that's three. I forgot I added one. So here's how you can give. You can give from your extra. Like, if you're basically got yourself taken care of, could do what you want to do for the most part, then what you have left, you can give from that. You can give from extra. I think that's how a lot of us give. It's like, I mean, we could still use that money, but, but you know, we've got, we've got some to spare. We give out of our extra. We give, I mean, kind of giving out of our leftovers. You can give gift of faith, which is like, ah, this is going to stretch me to give this, but I'm going to trust God to take care of me as I do it. And so many times, he, he will, it's like you try to give and it still comes back to you anyway. So many times. Not always. There's also sacrificial giving, which is, I'm going to have to like make an adjustment. Like David said, somebody said, like, you can have this spot for worship. You don't have to buy it from me. And said, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to give God something that costs me nothing. Like, there's a way to give that way. So for me to give 10% is not a gift of faith. And it's not a sacrificial gift. It's just not mine. I've never thought it's mine. I've been given 10% in middle school. It's God's. Like, everything is God's. But by doing 10%, it's like this built-in thing to me that says, I know everything is God's. And this part's definitely God's. Now, we give more than 10% to celebrate church of our income. And then we give offerings on top of that. But, but even more than 10% is not like a, but my, some of our offerings this last year with inflation, with other costs, with gas prices, it's like, oh, should, should we really keep supporting this? Should we really keep supporting this person in missions? Should we really? Uh, 
And time and time again, what we have to decide is, will we just trust? And often, it works out. We're still operating just like we were. Sometimes we have to think about, do we need to make an adjustment? So, for some of you to give 10%, though, would be a huge faith move. Like, you would really be needing to trust. It would be a huge, it could be a huge, like, I might have to sacrifice for that to happen. So I acknowledge that. What it says here is, I want to encourage you to excel in the grace of giving. And he does it by comparing, like, here are people who have nothing that are giving like this. So you should think about that. And you should remember that Jesus gave everything. It's all his. So what might use that as your radar in figuring out what you're going to give? I had a guy who, his wife wanted to do this. His wife was fired up all out for Jesus. And he's like, man, I'm okay with coming to church. He didn't go hear anything. I, yeah, I'm okay coming, going to church, but now it's like 10% of our income. And he had a big family, and he's like, hey, tell me something. Birthday gifts, Christmas gifts, can they count as the tithe? Can they count as the tithe? I'm like, eh, sorry, man. I mean, I want to help you out, but like the tithe isn't even like giving to the community. The tithe is about giving to the gospel, to, to the gospel of God. I think we should, and I do, give to the community at large. But like, it's about giving to God and God's work. But that guy now, he came, you know, several years later, he is, he is like a proponent of like, we should give beyond the tithe. Because his heart's been changed. Anyway, last passage, let me read it. Verses 6 through 13. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's what God says. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, right? We're all friends here. You, this is between you and God. For God loves a cheerful giver. You just decide whether you're going to do any first fruits giving or not. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Why does God bless you? And we're in, this is in the context of money. Let's read that again. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Why? So that... In all things, at all times, having all that you need, he blesses you so that you have what you need, you will abound in every good work. He blesses you so that you will be a blessing. That's why he does it. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Wow, it's nice that he's going to do that. Why again? You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Why is he going to bless you? Why would he give you more? So you can be more generous. That actually, that makes a lot of sense to me. He gives you 
more so you can give more. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing in koinonias with them and with everyone else. He's generous to us so we can be generous. I heard somebody recently say, you know, fish swim. Birds fly. Christians give. Because to be a Christian means to be like Christ. And Christ is totally generous. Richest person in the world becomes the poorest for us. Every breath we have is a gift from God. He gives, he gives, he gives, and he says, you can be givers. Let me tell a few koinonia stories. Now, so, let's see here. Couple, young couple, got a new vehicle, and part of that was a blessing, came from outside themselves, so they take their current vehicle, and they give it to a sibling who's a teenager, younger sibling, so that they have kind of a first car. Instead of selling their car, they give it. Years, a few years later, they get another vehicle. They are, this vehicle just will work better for them now. Their other car, still worth thousands of dollars, will last a good amount of time. They decide, you know what, rather than, well, someone says they're interested in it because they have a teenage driver. Somebody, so these, now, this couple goes to this church. They're talking to another couple in this church. And the couple, we're interested for our teenage child. We'll buy that from you. Okay, they show them the car. They say, actually, you can have it. You can have the car. No, no, it's okay. Well, this couple, we've seen your generosity. We want to be generous to you. So they give them a vehicle. A few years later, they're shifting cars again. Another car worth several thousand dollars. Older, but still decent condition, but several thousand dollars. They give that car to the well. Because again, they felt like they were blessed to be able to afford the new car they're getting, so they're going to give that car. So at this point, they have never sold a car. They've, never, they've had cars that were worth money. They have never sold a car. Now they get to a point where they have a teenage driver. And they need a car. But they can't afford a car. And during prayer builders, they're praying about, how's this going to work we want to make this work. This isn't working, but we don't have a car. The end of prayer builders, they get a text from someone else in this church that says, we're getting a new car. We were praying about it and feel like God said, we're supposed to give you our other car. They hadn't talked about it. It was just so... The one who sowed generously three times in giving a car away then came to a pot point where months they needed a car and they reaped generously by someone else, by God telling them to give them a car. 
This is in our church. This is last, you know, a few months ago. I've watched the Ukrainians give cars. Well, you know, new refugees came. They, they have nothing. We'll just give them our car. Two of them gave cars away to the new refugees. These people don't have a lot. But then they just have them live with them. This is koinonia. This is Acts 2.14. Now, I know these Ukrainians. They tithe. They, they're, but this is on top of all of that. They make less than most of us in this room. But that's just like, I mean, to, when I talk to them, I'm always stunned because they're just sort of like, yeah, isn't, this is what God, this is what it's like. It's like what it means to be a Christian. But now, so these people, we have given money, thousands of dollars, directly to refugees. We have given thousands of dollars because some from Celebrate, from, that's part of our giving as a church, and some from what you've donated, some of you have donated, to the well because they can help sort out where the money would go best. We, so we have given money, but we've also given money directly to the people who have shared, and they were blown away. They just were doing their normal thing, and all of a sudden, they're getting money because we're saying, well, you're such a blessing. We want you to be able to keep being generous and be a blessing. See, that's koinonia. We have people from our church who they give the first fruits. They give, the, they, they are, they give of, you know, to the church. But on top of that, they, they talk to Judd and say, you know, we've got, here's, here's a bunch of hundreds of dollars at a time for you to give to other people in the coming months and years at our church when you know there's a need. That's koinonia. It's awesome. Like, giving is awesome. Being generous is awesome. And the thing that strikes me is like, when you are generous, you just can become more generous when you're involving God in the equation. It's just true. I, I have, I just have no, when I first, the first couple times I talked about money, which wasn't at this church, I mean, I, was, I could feel it. I could feel like, I'm shutting down, like, don't go here. I, I mean, I could feel it. I'm just not like that anymore because it's so real. It's so real. It is who God is. So, I mean, give, if, again, at one time I did, the, I, I've said this before, like, if you're wondering if this is like a tactic, as I used before, like, give to the well. You know what? Either way, give to the well. Give to Pleasantville Youth Initiative. This, God will take care of our church. My prayer, oftentimes, because of my weak faith, will be like, God, offerings are row, a little bit more. Could we, uh, could you supply, could you, could you bring in people who need you, and could a few of them have a lot of money? <laughs> you know? That's, that's a real prayer. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. But what I forget, but I keep coming back to, and lately, I've, this week I've come back to it again, is like, no, the number one prayer is, God, make us worthy of whatever money you give. 
Give our leadership the ability to use it well. Help us not to waste it. I don't want to stand in front of the throne and God say, you were influential in how Celebrate used that money for so far 12 years running. All this came in. How did you use it? to say that, you know what? I used it driven by my American mindset and not by what the Bible says. That's true of Celebrate Church and that's true of the money that comes in. God says, I'm going to give you all that you need. I am going to bless you abundantly. But he doesn't say it so that I can have the house exactly like I want it and the furniture exactly like I want it and get to go out to eat like I want and get to go on the vacations that I want. He doesn't say so you can do all those things. He lets us do those things, which is great. I mean, a lot of those things. He says, so you can be generous. Because that's who I am. And I'm telling you, when you're generous, I'm going to show you I'm even more generous. I, I will never let you think you're more generous than me. If you're generous, I'm going to show you I'm more generous. That's who he is. That's who he is. I love him. I love him. I'll have the worship team come up. pray as they come up. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. We could never be more generous than you. Never. We can give away everything we have, and we still won't have given as much as you give and keep giving. We love you. We love you. We want to know you more. A number of us, because of the hurts, because of what we don't have, because of the financial pressures, we, it's harder for us to see that. Would you show us who you really are? Would you show us your generosity? Would you give us eyes to see it? I want to thank you for all the ways you give us things. You give us life. You're patient with us. We want to thank you. And you say that the world will know what you're like by the way we love one another. And that includes how we give, how we're generous. So help us to do that too. Oh, I just sense God smiling on this room right now. He's not angry. He's not super disappointed. He loves being generous. He loves our little efforts at joining him in generosity. It's amazing that the gifts that you give now, God, these, these little gifts, they're just, 
they're just a little deposit of the inheritance that's in store for us, the real generosity that you're going to keep giving and showing us throughout the ages into eternity. Like you do show us generosity now, but it is just a little, little glimpse of what you have in store for us. Thank you. So let it not be said of us that we held back from you. Let that not be said of us. We love you, Jesus.